White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow, Carlton Fred has put the White Sox ahead. Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Socks podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Socks. This is Herb Lawrence alongside Chris Tannehill. First time we've been in your home studio in a while, Chris yeah, Tannehill. Yeah, that's right. Get out of here, Jim Tomey. Thank you. We appreciate you, but go on, get get out of here now. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's uh, The ambiance is set. I mean, it's a White Sox shrine right here we're broadcasting <laughs> in front of. Uh, maybe one of these days we'll send it back out to you to see what Chris has done with the improvements since I've yeah, last been over there's, here. Yeah, what do you see here? What's new since you've uh, last uh, been here? All these cards right here with my mostly White Sox people and then a Doug Buffon card at the end. Yeah. Of course, you got to have Bill Scouring on there. Moose yeah, Scouring. Moose, my guy, our guy. Yeah, Uribe and such. Yeah. Mini yeah. Minoso. Got Paul Canerco. Uh, signed rookie card as a, in a catcher's uh, gear for the Dodgers. I got our guy DJ. Darren Jackson's got a card. He's right next to Ed Farmer, who is right next to Carlton Fisk, who is next to Doug Buffon. So, you know, I'm trying to spruce it up down here. You know, trying to make it very as soxy as possible. And then so. the guy we went to Cooperstown for, Frank Thomas. He yes. got his uh, plaque. He's everywhere. Here. Frank is omnipresent down here in the basement. We've got the jersey. we got the Hall of Fame plaque. we got bobbleheads Bobblehead. galore. Yeah, so... You know, doing doing our thing down here. I was I was waiting for you to to come back here and and, and see the new additions to our studio. So. And also, I see you have some built bars here. So I do have built bars. And this episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. You know, I'm trying to shave off some of that COVID fifteen, the extra fifteen pounds they say you you gain from the stay-at-home orders and just snacking and eating everything terrible in sight you can get your hands on. But Built Bar is helping me get back to where I was before because Built Bar is packed with protein and they're delicious. They come in 16 amazing flavors, including eight chocolate and nut flavors and eight chocolate and nut-free flavors. So don't worry. If you got those peanut allergies, they've got you taken care of. Built Bar is 100% covered in chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. You know, yesterday I was mowing the lawn and I needed a, a snack to, to bridge the gap in between, you know, uh, middle of the afternoon and, and something to get me through to dinner. So I had the chocolate peanut butter built bar for the first time and it was packed with a whopping 20 grams of protein. It definitely held me down until dinner time and it was also delicious as well. Built Bars are great if you're a healthy guy on the go, if you want to lose or maintain weight while still enjoying a little treat along the way. They are low in calories, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. Right now, Built Bar's got a special offer just for our Locked On White Sox listeners. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, 
you'll get $10 off your first order. That's right. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. And you can build your own box of Built Bars where they have all these 16 amazing flavors and you can mix and match. There's some maybe you like more than others. So, so load it up with your chocolate peanut butter. Load it up with your banana nut bread flavor. Or maybe the orange chocolate cream, which I'm going to try later on tonight as a little post-podcast dessert. So go to BuiltBar.com now and don't forget to enter that promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. All right, so it is Mailbag Monday, episode 40. What do you got for me for 40, Herb? This is going to be one of the, uh, the, the tightly contested namings of an episode, I think, in our short tenure as Locked on White Sox hopes. But uh, we'll start for, with the old ones. Uh, Britt Burns, who was, of course, on that 83 win and ugly team. People always tell me about Britt Burns and how he was a key cog to that pitching staff. Uh, our guy Joe Cowley. I don't, <laughs> not not yeah, that not Joe that Cowley. One. Different Joe Different. Cowley. Uh, threw a no-hitter, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through through a no hitter, um, the guy that automatically just yells out, "We should name this episode after," not because he had any success with the White Sox, and I'm kind of mad at him because I think it was 11 years, kind of this week. Michael Jackson died on the 25th of June. Yeah, and then 2009, we never saw Bartolo Colon again, not in the White Sox uniform. For that year, like he was so devastated that Michael Jackson died, so Bartolo Colon, I would say, maybe is in the running. But did, did that were those things were they like did those happen at the yes. same time? Or, yes, <laughs> that's yes. Amazing. Like he like left, and there was no more Bartolo Colon for the White Sox. I don't know if he ever did he come back. No, he didn't come back with the White Sox. No. It was a, that was his second tour duty with the White Sox. But yeah, I'm trying to look up the exact well, day he left. But I remember. He was so devastated he didn't come back. <laughs> well, I remember, At least that was a story. But I like Bartolo. He's the, the front runner in my opinion, even though his, his time with the White Sox was short-lived. I remember watching him in 2003 after they traded the Rockmeister, Rocky Biddle, uh, to get him. Uh, mm. I met the Rockmeister when I was working at Jewel on Addison and Broadway. He came in. I was like, hey, you're Rocky Biddle. I think I've told that story here before, but he was cool. But I remember watching uh, Bartolo Colon pitch. It was hot as hell. It was late in the year. It was Sox and, and Royals, and it was like it's well over 100 degrees out there in the bleachers, and I'm sitting out there, and here's Bar- Big Bartolo, Big Sexy, just out there dealing. He's mowing down the Royals. This is 2003 Royals. They're always a pain in the ass, but this is like Carlos Beltran uh, was on that team, Joe Randa, and he was just <laughs> mowing them down, and I'm just out there sweating my ass off, and I'm like, how is this big man out there doing it when it's like it's insufferable out here? And then... Uh, Flash Gordon and Domiso Marte almost blew like a five-run lead in the ninth inning, but they held it down that day. But I just, it was funny because you always see something. You can always have the possibility of seeing something mm-hmm. that you've never seen before when you go to a baseball game. And I remember one time I took a bunch of my guys who are not big baseball fans. We went that year in 03 to a Sox game, and Bartolo was pitching. I think it was against the Red Sox. And a uh, a third base umpire fell backwards over over and tripped over third base <laughs> and fell on his ass. And my friends were just they were loving it like it was the best shit they've ever seen in, ever. It was it was pretty good. I had, I'd been going to games for like thirteen years up to that point, but they were like, "Is this happening all the time?" I was like, "No, this has never happened." At least as far as I've many times as I've been in a ball game, I've never seen an umpire fall bats backwards over third base. So you guys are blessed here today. I was wrong. He pitched one more time. I okay. think it, it looks in a tribute. July. <laughs> he sucked that day. 
and never pitch for the White Sox again. So, yeah, Michael, I at least that was the story. Maybe that was Ozzy just pulling our legs and such. <laughs> but, yeah, he got, like, June 7th he had a start, then didn't pitch until July, and that last July start was it for the White Sox. So, yeah, I'm big. T- oh, yeah, it says right here, Bartolo Colon found still mourning Michael Jackson, July 9th, <laughs> 2009. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he's very weird about Michael Jackson. He was, uh, he was a big fan. And then, like Ed Farmer says, he's a big fan of his music. The other stuff? Exactly. <laughs> Allegedly. Not so much. Allegedly. But Sednick, Ramirez, and Dying all night long, folks, we're going to have lead-ins to and from the innings with uh, tribute to Mike, Michael Jackson at the service today at Staples Center in Los Angeles. The king of pop was a musician. I loved his work. The other things, not so much. Allegedly. I could hear that. It's literally my favorite clip, I think, ever. It's my favorite clip of anything ever. So it's any excuse to play Ed Farmer on Michael Jackson the day of his funeral is, is a good enough reason for me. Um, also, notable number 40s. It was weird. I didn't realize Jack McDowell sported the 40 for so many years early on in his career from 87 to 90. I get it. You first come up, you have a certain number. But for him to rock with it for so many years and then switch it, to uh to number 29 and then all of a sudden just ride with that the rest of the way that was weird uh you know maybe he thought there was something behind that uh he needed a change maybe i don't know but that was that was kind of weird and of course another key anchor of of that early 90s pitching staff wilson alvarez good old number 40 he's the first one that i actually think of i was close to because he was i think the performance of wilson alvarez was a better performance as a white Sox pitcher than what bartol Colon brought to the table or at least what you were expecting yes. Alvarez first start as a White Sox no hitter in Baltimore I remember that vividly I do too I watched it in a bar I was one of these kids that grew up in a bar <laughs> I remember watching it like this is crazy this is awesome uh yeah it was it was it was really cool um and I think that's about it as far I, as uh, the notable 40s. I uh, got to give a little a little shout out to uh, rest in peace, Daniel Webb. Yes. Um, I was reading up about him earlier today when I was going through this and how just how tragic that was. Mm-hmm. He, of course, passed away in an ATV accident after being released to, after having Tommy John surgery and then being released by the White Sox. It was very, very uh, sad, you know, when someone goes in the prime of their life like that. Um but yeah, Daniel Webb, also a notable number 40. And of course, Ronaldo Lopez sporting the 40 currently. And you got some good feedback off of your Ronaldo Lopez slash Michael Kopech plan from the last episode. I think that's the best formula for Ronaldo Lopez going forward. And in honesty, Michael Kopech, I would, you know, in a 60 game season, be, um, you know, maybe swayed to just give Michael Kopech his full starts and say it's 60 games. What is that, like seven, eight starts? So it's not that much. Not a lot of taxing on the arm. But the last thing I want is Michael Kopech to be on the shelf for 2021. I want him to just get a feel for the ball, pitching versus hitters again, not feel pressure of, you know, having to anchor or be a a stud this year. Just go out and do your thing. Relax. We'll expect you for a buck 50 next year and then ramp up to 200 the year after that. But this year, relax, have some fun. And in the same time, we can have Ronaldo Lopez be in the role that I think that he's more suited for coming out of the bullpen and being a future closer, I think. He's got the stuff to be a closer, filthy stuff. I don't think he has the stamina or the um, just the wherewithal to be a starter right now. He shows you flashes, but then also it's like, yeah, this guy's not that great. That, that's interesting, the idea of being a closer when I think of Ronaldo, because when I think of Ronaldo, I think of a, of a guy who sometimes – 
you know, has a little problems with focus, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I'm wondering if that would work to his benefit as someone who does have to, has to come in and ride the wave of adrenaline. I wonder if that would help him or hurt him as someone like him pitches the way he does. If, if coming out of the bullpen and just getting it and throwing it, if that would benefit him or if, you know, it's not for everybody to close a role, but certainly you have a, a chance to tinker around with it. You know, there's a lot of things that, what are they going to do with Carlos Rodon? He also falls into that Kopech category where it's like they're trying to bring him in, but also trying to get some innings on, in that arm. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm waiting to see the Cubs release their 60-man roster today yes, they did. with their summer camp squad. I'm waiting for the Sox to do the same, but we'll definitely have a full breakdown uh, once that roster becomes available to us. But it is Mailbag Monday, and we will get to that as well as a other few news items right after this. Today's episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Summer's here, and if you're like us, you're planning on jumping in your car and hitting the open road. I'm going up to Michigan myself in a couple weeks. It's one of my favorite things to do is get a little dashboard time, but before you put your key in that ignition, you're going to want to make sure everything in your car is running tip-top. And if not, and you need to find a replacement part fast, you need to head over to rockauto.com. There's so many different makes and models of automobiles these days. Finding the right parts for your car can be overwhelming at times, but not at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. It's, you know, it's so important to stay on top of your car's maintenance so that way things don't you know, break down on you when you're out there on the open road. So make sure you got everything you need at rockauto.com. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and now even carpet. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. All right, so a few quick items uh, for housekeeping. The White Sox did sign all of their draft picks. All five picks of the 2020 draft are signed, sealed, and uh, delivered so far and uh, this courtesy of our guys over at future socks um garrett crochet signed he of course the number one pick six foot six 218 pounds officially signed for slot value of four million five hundred and forty seven thousand five hundred dollars uh that's of course you know a lot of people thought that might have been the best left-handed arm in the draft and the socks got him at pick number 11 they've also signed number two pick high school pitcher jared kelly uh he was signed for three million dollar signing bonus he was of course the gatorade player of the year uh, coming out of high school and he's an interesting guy that the Sox picked up there we, we you know well we won't know the story about these guys uh, until they're well into an established big league career but you're hearing a lot of people talk about jared kelly and how he could be the steal of the draft a lot of, you know there were some signability issues and what the white Sox have done here is they've paid over slot 
to guys, you know, a lot of people speculated like, oh, I don't know. I hope they can sign this guy. Like, I don't think they would ever target a guy without knowing they they could sign them. But I saw it was, did you tweet today about Jared Kelly, how he might not even be the most athletic member of his family? Was that Kelly? Yeah, that was his brother. Jordan's only a sophomore going into his junior year. This next year, he was already all state in Texas and football. They won a high school championship down there in Texas and the kid, uh, Looks like he's going to be an all-state wide receiver, quarterback, whatever he wants to be. Just an athlete. He's fast as hell. And he also pitched or he was a uh, player on that championship team that his brother pitched on in 2019. So he's a pretty good baseball player, good basketball player, track and field. He's a four-sport athlete down there in Refugio, Texas. So, yeah, I have that guy's got some future in front of him. And Jarrett, that, the White Sox, is my basic knowledge of – the draft and the slotting system, they had to pay him over slot for him not to go to college. So right. that to draft him and then, you know, be on the cheap side. Like I think the white Sox had that type of, um, makeup. Yeah. That type of makeup. Yeah. When people's like, Oh, you're going to sign the guy. And then the guy goes right back to school. I forgot the guy that went to Detroit or Pittsburgh. We drafted a guy and he's like, nah, I'm not going to sign. And this is why um, they have the bad relationship with Scott Boris. Bobby C, S-E-A-Y. He did not sign with the White Sox. I think he eventually went to Detroit and was terrible. That was their actual makeup. That's how they were thought of as a team and drafting. But now they're doing it smart. Like they draft guys with, in the later rounds, like seniors who don't have really any leverage to them. College seniors. So they can sign them under slot later on. Like in a last year's draft, I believe they signed a bunch of college seniors under slot after drafting some good guys and they had to pay over slot. So you have a certain amount of money, if, as I understand. And if you guys need to know this, go to Future Sox, James Fox, our guy, Mike Ranking, works at the score. They'll get you knocked out with the exact thing. But my basic understanding is you could draft guys, you have a certain amount of money, you could pay them and you you know you have a slot for that part you draft them at the pick you draft them at so 11 has a slot and they pretty much drafted and paid a crochet where the slot was at and they had to overpay with Jared Kelly because he has options he's a high school senior he could go to college if you don't pay him enough so they paid him over slot because he was uh, supposed to be like a first round guy and the signability was the problem with him and a guy that uh, I'll forever be linked to uh, with Third round pick number 83, uh, Addison Coffey, was also signed for a $50,000 bonus per Jim Callis. 83. His slot was $733,100. Right there. $750,000. They signed him way under slot. Yeah. So... You know, it, it one thing with the with the short draft this year, it seems like the Sox and, and Mike Shirley they're 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 putting the money where their mouth is and and they're making solid investments. You you know you hear things about all oh, the Sox are cheap and they don't do this and they do that, but they're really trying to solidify this organization from the bottom up, which is something that they did quite the opposite over the years, paying money to free agents to come in and and under deliver. And, and ignoring in aspects of international scouting and the amateur draft. So, I, you know, beyond 2020, I think the, the future of the Sox looks pretty good in, in terms of their philosophies and their drafting. Now, what's crazy is when you think about the draft, they, they grabbed a lot of pitching uh, with their five picks. And you're like, man, I would, you know, usually, oh, okay, well, I'd like to see a little position player. But then you look around the field for the 2020 Sox and you have guys locked in that – 
could conceivably be locked in for the next 10 years, which I can't remember ever seeing in my time as a Sox fan. I mean, so the future is definitely looking bright for the organization on a whole, and we'll have to see how a lot of these young pitchers turn out. We won't know, obviously, for years to come, but a lot of people early on uh, like the talent that the Sox picked up in the draft, and there was other one thing that happened during the draft that I think we're going to need your breakdown, Herbie. Colorado on the clock, Cleveland, Tampa Bay still to go. You think, do you think he meant to say cock or clock? What do you think? I think he meant to say clock, <laughs> but Ravi's got something, other things on his mind. Come on, Ravage. <laughs> Fix that, that hair and let's get the words right. I mean, as a guy who gets words wrong, come on. I don't get <laughs> oh, words. We get words wrong exclusively. Exactly. <laughs> but that's an interesting strategy by Colorado. The Rockies are on the clock. Colorado on the clock, Cleveland, Tampa Bay still to go. I think he meant to say to say clock because that's something you say when there's a draft. Like you know, you have a draft clock, and you know, <laughs> yeah. I think he meant to say clock. I'll give him I the mean, benefit of the doubt. Hey, Colorado could be on the clock. I mean, <laughs> hell, this is a free and open world. If you're on the clock, we're all good for that. Hey, it's we're, a sexual revolution. Let's do it. We were on the clock of Colorado when we were out there. It's oh, a great place to be. Mercy, I tell you what, that ballpark underrated, underrated as hell. Like if you haven't been out to Coors Field, and then we took the subsequent tour the next day because i was high as shit on the friday <laughs> so the saturday was a good day that we could go and just chill out and be relaxed and watch the ballpark or get a tour of the ballpark i think that was my favorite tour i was better than the pittsburgh tour to me oh i love pittsburgh crazy. the ballpark more and i know you love the guy <laughs> the tour guy all the better. pittsburgh all the old guys in pittsburgh your standard issue 70-year-old guy from Pittsburgh who talks with the accent, and let's go up to Rotunda and take a good look at this place, and it's not cookie-cutter like the other stadiums that got built in that era. Like, I love those guys. So, but yeah, but Colorado was very nice. We were on the cock, and, you know, you're, you're wrong about the, uh, the, the ballpark tour, but I did like, that's one of the few places where I like the park a lot more after taking the tour. So if you yes. have a chance to get out there, go, go to Coors Field. Very, it's beautiful. We saw... Uh, Jose Quintana's last start in a White Sox uniform. Jose Quintana, by the way, hanging out with Tom Brady today. How about that? Yeah. And Melky. And Melky. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. I mean, I, I guess they all live in the Tampa area and yeah. chill out. I didn't know Jose lived in the Tampa area. I would think he was more of a Miami guy. But yeah. Yeah. Chilling out in Tampa and Tom's riding his little scooter and Jose's like, hey, let me get a picture, brother. Let me get a picture of the goat. And Tom's like, um, let He's me like, get a picture with you then. <laughs> it's like, wait, you're the you, one they traded for Elo Jimenez? I got to get your picture, brother. <laughs> and Tom Brady's like, hi, I'm Tom Brady, and I'm just going to sit here, and everyone can take my picture. Yeah, he just thinks this is some regular guy. He's like, this, this is a regular guy who wants to have a picture with me. That's good. I, 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 I will oblige. And they're your friend, too? Those, he, he doesn't play baseball. Look yeah. at him. He's five seven. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys are really nice. <laughs> it's like wow. I, I'm, gl- I'm glad they're in the neighborhood. I wonder what they do for a living. They live in the same neighborhood. Right. All right. Let's open up the mailbag. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. trying to build the uh, mailbag back up here as we you know sort of relaunch the podcast as the season you know resumes action after a long hiatus for us and baseball um but one person that's been a constant uh so far throughout our podcast history has been our guy pete hand who is a great white Sox fan very smart guy knowledgeable and uh, loves interacting with the show and we love interacting with him and he kindly reminded me uh, and us actually about something we kind of left off of last week's podcast, and we like to right wrongs around here, but he reminded us about Roberto Hernandez's infamous 
appearance, in, uh, not even in the game itself, because he had a clean one, two, three inning. I went back and watched the 96 All-Star game, and I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. But Roberto Hernandez, during the photo session the day before the All-Star game, he nearly ended Cal Ripken Jr.'s Ironman streak. Here is Bob Costas from the 1996 All-Star game in Philadelphia. Here's Todd Hundley of the Mets. And Roberto Hernandez, who was almost the goat of the night before he ever got into the game when he inadvertently whacked Cal Ripken in the nose and broke his nose during the pregame picture-taking session. Roberto Hernandez now in. There's Cal out of the game, replaced by Alex Rodriguez at shortstop and inning a go. Hernandez, the new pitcher. So, yeah, so he busts Cal Ripken wide open. He whacked him, according to Bob Costas, uh, which i that's a totally different imagery right there. Hey, yeah. Cal Ripken, he's got to go with the family of Lou Gehrig. We got to whack this guy. We got to whack this prick, <laughs> Cal Ripken, before he breaks the Iron Man, the, 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 uh, the Iron Man streak. But I had forgotten that happened, and I think there was video of that. I remember seeing that over and over again, sort of Roberto Hernandez's arm, just come down and, and, and give uh, old Cal the, the, the forearm shiva. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I forgot that that even happened, but can you imagine that's like, you know, one of, that's your first all-star appearance and who you are potentially injuring uh, one of the greatest players of all time who is like the darling of baseball. He, had, he hadn't broken the record yet, but he broke his nose. Uh, that was very, that was cool to, to go back and relive that. There's a whole article from the Balmer Sun, uh, if you want to read about that, but uh, yeah, that, that was funny that he sent that to us. I was wondering, uh, like all the time I think about Cal Ripken, I always think about Kevin Costner. Yeah, yeah. So that guy, he man, so close to breaking the streak, <laughs> so close. And if you guys don't know the Kevin Costner yeah, story, go, go and ahead. go and check it out yourself. I, should I just tell it? I don't want to get sued. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we like to not get sued. Um, but yeah, just the, the the everyone. I think most people have heard the rumors, but yeah, I guess search uh, Cal Ripken, Kevin Costner. But yeah, I don't remember. Was he like on like the pitcher taking like slipping there, on the bench and yeah, then like trying yeah. to catch his? Uh, it's like they have the risers, the bleacher risers, where they take the team photo. You know, where mm-hmm. they got the different tiers and like you know Roberto slipped. And, you know, I think something, you know, maybe gave way or he just slipped and then all of a sudden he came down right right on Cal. But if you watch, go back and watch that game, you can't you can't tell. They just went. But he went back in right after popped his nose back into place. And that was it. So these, these, these were hard men living in hard times in the, in the mid to late 90s. So um, another thing I was watching that 1996 All-Star game because I was trying to grab a gif of our guy, Roberto Hernandez. And thank you again, Pete Han, for sending that in. You know, it was in Philadelphia, and they do the starting lineups, and Joe Carter is still with the Blue Jays at that time, and of course, you're in Philadelphia, and they booed the shit out of Joe Carter three years after the fact, which is understandably so. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't get a chance to see Joe Carter that often in that game, so that was funny. It was like one of those great moments where it's like they're it says just... 96? Yeah, yeah. So, like, interleague hadn't started yet. Right, exactly. Wow. So, they so this, they were holding on to this grudge for three years, <laughs> and here's Joe Carter for all to see, and they're just raining booze down on him, and Joe Carter, of course, got a big smile on his face and joined every second of it i thought that was really cool but i don't we can be here all night uh, do you want to take a guess as to who sang the national anthem at the all-star game in 1996 in philadelphia I, i'll give you a i'll give you a, a hint it was on 19 it was on nbc you heard bob costas there okay so it was on nbc so i'm gonna i i've already got a good guess all right i'm thinking philadelphia I'm thinking 1996. Oh yeah, it, all the sense in the world is pointing to like one direction and not members of one direction, but I'm thinking I'm going to go with my cousin Joey Lawrence. 
Oh, that would have been a good call. Uh, it was not Joey Lawrence. He sang a song. Well, if they needed someone to rap, uh, they, they would pick Joey, I think. Uh, he's one of my favorites. There's nothing my love can fix for you, baby. <laughs> Check it out. Look it up now. Joey Lawrence had a song. <laughs> but NBC had a big show on at the time. Kelsey Grammer sang the national anthem at wow. the 1996 All-Star Game in Philadelphia. Is you know even what? tied to, Kel- to Philadelphia? Like, no. The show, like... Cheers was in Boston. Frazier was in Seattle. Him, the actor, I don't know where he's from. You ever, you ever see, uh, you ever see Frazier? You ever watch that show? The show, yeah, Frasier? yeah, it's a great show. Okay, I was gonna say, I don't know. I if mean, you... I, I always, you know, as radio guys, I'm like, why is Roz not wearing headphones? Yeah, it's like, what's going on here? This is not real radio. Pretty accurate though, like the the rapport between host and producer. Like, you know, Roz always breaking his balls. That's, that's accurate. We'll peel back the curtain. That's what we do. We can't stand the talent. But, but sideways though, like he's. Facing one way, and Roz can look at him perfectly, and he's yeah. got to turn to the side to look at him. That's not a real yeah. radio show, but whatever. Um, so Frasier's show was a monster at the time, so NBC kind of, you know, you guys may know Frasier, Kelsey Grammer, as the executive producer of the show Girlfriends. That's where I know him. I've never seen the show Frasier. Um, but here's Kelsey Grammer singing the national anthem in the 1996 All-Star Game. And now to honor America. Please join Kelsey Grammer as he sings our national anthem. Okay, Frazier. By the dawn's early light. Sounds exactly like Sideshow Bob. What's so lovely, please? This is not the Quite national fast. anthem, Frazier. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you. Pain. Disrespect our country more, why don't you, Frazier? Toss salad and scrambled eggs. So dirty. Frazier. They're calling again. This is our grand old game. Scrambled eggs all over my face. And what is a boy to do? Just sing the song, Frazier. Frazier has left the building. <sighs> Just disgraceful act. What a disgraceful act <laughs> by Kelsey Grammer at the 1996 All-Star Game. I thought that was very weird. Uh, but he did a great job um, doing the national anthem. But I was like, it's one of those things. You can pretty much find anything you're looking for on YouTube. One of the great inventions of our time, but you just you get to watching it, and I'm just you know after I grabbed my gift of Roberto Hernandez, just kept watching, and you had Alex Rodriguez making his All Star Game debut in 1996, and one other thing that I want to get into a little bit more a couple episodes down the road, probably in episode 42 when we talk a little bit about the significance of that number, um, but one of the things that that stuck out for me in the 1996 All Star Game was the black star power that's in, that's in this game. And this is, I'm 13 years old at the time. You know, you're starting to really fall in love with baseball. And, and the African-American superstars are just, they're in abundance here in this all-star game. For the American League, you've got, of course, Frank Thomas, who did not play in the game because he was battling a foot sprain uh, in 1996. He still finished the year with 40 home runs, hit 349 with an OBP of 459 and an OPS of 1085. Mm. Uh, but he, he, him and Roberto were at that all-star game, but Frank did not play. So you had Kenny Lofton and Albert Bell of the Indians. Mo Vaughn was in the game. Uh, for the National League, Lance Johnson, Barry Larkin, Barry Bonds, Fred McGriff, uh, Tony Gwynn, Joe Carter, Greg Vaughn, Eric Young, Ozzie Smith, Ellis Berg. So yes, Gary, and Gary Sheffield were all in this game. 
And it's just it's kind of kind of sad um, to to look at baseball now and and think you know it's not as quite as diverse. Uh, I guess you you know there's more Latin players now than there was then, um, but just to see the black influence in baseball not be as strong as it once was, it hurts my heart a little bit. I don't know if you feel the same because it's kind of ironic because growing up my favorite player was Frank Thomas and yours was Robin Ventura, yes. and I'm not asking you because you're a black guy, but just like you know, you know what do, what do you think about that when when you when you hear all those names uh, you know for the you know all in a row like that and these guys are all batting you know one, two, three, four in the National League batting order. You know, what do you think about when you when you hear those names? I mean, great players, outstanding players, all of them, I think, most of them, except for Barry Bonds, Hall of Famers. I mean, should be himself. Um, as far as the drop-off of African-American players, I kind of understand why it is. I mean, think about baseball, how hard it makes you to get into the league. And then once you get in the league, you're – owned by that team pretty much for the first seven years of your career. Seven years. That's a long time. Like the NFL, I think their average thing is three years. I'm not sure what MLB's average uh, career is. It's probably like five, six years. So before you make real money, it's going to take you at least 10 years because they're going to keep you down in the minors for three and you're going to be in the – you're going to be in the majors, and they're going to play some uh, some game with you in your service time, and hopefully that ends after next year's CBA. So, yeah, uh, I can see why players who are uh, African-American and white American players can say, I'm out. I'm good at, like we were talking about Jordan Kelly earlier, Jared Kelly's brother. I'm good at football. I'm good at baseball. I'm good at basketball. I have choices. I'm going to see what's the best route for me because – I need to get into that league and make money and make generational wealth. I mean, look at the Kyler Murray. Most say that Kyler Murray was just as good at baseball than he was at football, but he took the route of going to play a harder sport, a tougher sport in your body, and get paid immediately, though. Like, he's getting paid. He's a good – like, he don't have to worry about money for a while. And then his next, what, three years, he has to just play for that contract, and then he'll get another – big-time contract if he plays well again. So, like, Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick for the Dallas Cowboys. Now he's making $31 million this year as a franchise quarterback. A baseball player won't make $31 million most likely in his first seven years of playing in the league. So I understand why black players, uh, white players, choose a different sport. And the, the lack of black players in the game right now is kind of sad, but baseball makes it so it's a sport that is very expensive to play. Firstly, when you're a youngster, I know travel teams and the bats and the, all the extra stuff that you have to have costs a lot of money. Parents probably don't have enough money to be doing that. I know when I was a kid, I didn't have enough money to be on travel teams and all this stuff. I was only on one travel team. It wasn't because um, I think we only had one travel team. So I I think I wasn't uh, I wouldn't go, gone without if I would have made it to a travel team my mom and my coach would have found a way but not everybody had that uh, type of luxury but yeah I understand why African Americans attendance in baseball is down if they want to promote more players like Ed Howard who just got drafted by the Cubs they need to go out and have some outreach and say hey you're better at this than you are at football and basketball. I know those routes are easy, but nothing worth doing is going to be easy in your life. Strive through it. You're going to be a pioneer for the next wave of African-American players that come to play baseball instead of playing the other sports. 
have some type of incentive for the kids to do baseball instead of the other sports. Like, a met, like when you're a kid, the only thing you could do, you got to get like eight kids together and say, let's play some baseball at minimum, right? Yeah, Basketball, it's very, it's very you hard. Can, you can you can improve your game by your damn self. Just take shots. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, you know, get the milk crate. You get to find a basketball. Basketball, they give you one at Pizza Hut yeah. <laughs> during March Madness. So we, I had those every year. And you had a milk crate, cut the hole out, and you know, staple it up to to a post out in the alley. And we used to ball all the time before I got a hoop in my backyard. Um, you know, it just it's so much easier. And you think it was like, how much is a bat these days? Like a good bat, like a hundred bucks. I remember yeah. it was back when when I was a kid. The glove. But yeah, you know, you mentioned Ed Howard. One thing I really loved hearing from him was when he was on our station, six seventy, the score. Where he talked about. You know, all his friends played baseball, so that's why he plays baseball. But he also likes it because it's a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. So I think he's he's going to be a star. Like I, when you have an attitude like that, like I can't wait to see his his career pan out. And you know, part of I was conflicted. I was like, I would love the White Sox to take him, but we got Tim Anderson. You know, so like you know, it's he embraces the grind. But also, I say draft as many shortstops as you yeah, can. Yeah, it's never a bad. I philosophy. You can move right. him. You can move him. You can move Tim to center field. You can move Ed Howard to center field. Yep. I I don't draft for need or anything. But yeah, I would love for Major League Baseball and player uh, programs like the White Sox run their ace program. Are, which Ed Howard came out of, I think Corey Ray, who is a Milwaukee Brewer mm-hmm. farmhand, came out of those type of things, those type of outreach, showing kids, hey, this is the ballpark, this is what we play. We really want you to play baseball, and we're gonna allow you to do that by giving you an opportunity to play on the on our travel team. Uh, if you don't have the money, we'll 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 hit you up. We'll get you the bats and gloves and stuff that you need. We'll. You know, we'll foster you into this program because we know that you have the talent. We just need you to continue the grind. And like you said, Ed Howard embraces the grind. He wants it to be hard because he knows that if it is hard, he can battle through it. He wants, you know, people to doubt his bet in the game because he's like, okay, you doubt me that I can't be a good hitter? Bet. I got you next. And same thing with Tim Anderson. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like someone we know. That, that Tim plays Anderson, for the Sox. What, I think... If he never got hurt, he would have kept on playing ba- basketball and never would have been drafted out of a junior college in Alabama. Yep. He's like, you know what? I can play baseball. If I've, It's cool. And he never liked kind of the, the stuffiness. And that's why his – I think why his game has become even more exp- expanded and fun and he's been better is because his personality has shown out. Like probably baseball has told him all the time to suppress your – individual and suppress your personality and we've said it many times baseball is an individual sport play within a team concept so when timmy's realized and i think he realized after the death of his one of his best friends that life is too short and i'm not going to be playing this game like they want me to play i'm gonna play this game like i want me to play so once he got comfortable with himself and started playing baseball like he wanted to play baby and that's what I think a player like Tim Anderson can show the rest of the African-American youth. Come on out here. We're having fun. We're enjoying our time. And tell me you watch Tim Anderson and you don't enjoy the baseball game. Mercy. That man's great. Yeah, hopefully Tim will be a part of you know convincing uh, the next generation of, of young black players to play baseball. You know? you know, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out over time. But um, you know, some, certainly something to, to keep an eye out on. And one of the things that, you know, I took away from watching that game 
and uh, hopefully things can improve in that regard. I know everyone's trying their absolute best. The White Sox are as good as anyone uh, with the East-West game and things like that, and like you said, the ace program. So hopefully we'll, we'll start to see things turn uh, a little bit in baseball's favor in that regard. I think it's going to have to if baseball, baseball is going to survive and sort of attract the young fan again. It's going to have to do that. Uh, next email, our guy Mike Victor checks in. Hey, guys, welcome back. So glad to have you guys to listen again. And the prospect of hopeful baseball makes me extremely happy. Just wanted to check in and make sure uh, you guys are healthy, which I thought that was very nice of Mike to check in. Thank you, Mike. Uh, physically, we're both fine. I, I'm not going to speak uh, for you on the mental side. Mentally, I think we're all just hanging in there. Um, I'm kind of you know just limping to the finish line here. I've got a vacation coming up at the end of next week or this week if you're listening to this on Monday. So I'm looking forward to just getting away with the family, going up to Michigan for a little bit. And it's it's been a stressful year, us working in the, in the sports industry and in radio and the content industry. It, it's been tough. You know, I wouldn't say it's been tough to have things to talk about because there's always things that come down the, you know, along the way that you could talk about. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're a talk radio format, so you can find things to talk about. And, you know, it's what we do. But it's just it's just been stressful with the schools closing down, and you know I'm having to take on more of a role as you know teaching my daughter, and you know supporting the wife here. She works from home and trying to make things comfortable for her, and you know it's just not it's not easy. Everyone's spread a little bit thin, but physically I'm, I'm happy to be okay. And you know it it really it hurts my heart to see what's happening in other parts of the country. You know especially considering Chicago did such a great job trying to flatten the curve and you see other people just want to live recklessly and you know they think wearing a mask is a political statement which it's not um but uh, that's that's what's troubling me most lately but beyond that i'm all good here things are a lot worse for a lot more people so we're we're, we're lucky i don't know how, how you're holding up through this whole thing i'm fine i mean uh this is tough the pandemic is tough on everybody so i think we're all on equal footing on that regard so yeah i'm great like going into work like we do gives us some normalcy and now like it's the weirdest part like the couple months of just us and a couple other people going to work streets of downtown chicago empty lakeshore drive empty for the most part uh the place to where we park at millennium oh uh, wait a, you, i don't know what the uh the express lane was uh was going the other direction the opposite direction coming in towards downtown on friday when i left work Fucking ridiculous. i was furious <laughs> i had to go 70 all the way home oh my only god 70 miles an hour in the in the regular lanes uh-huh. like with a bunch As of losers yeah i'm like <laughs> that's what i said it's like i i'm glad you guys are back out here it's the pedal on the right. Drive, <laughs> you sons of bitches. We were going 80 consistently on Lakeshore Drive, and you were going, if you're going 60. 80? Were you on your phone? And people, yeah, and people were like looking at you. You're going 60 on Lakeshore Drive. And those who don't know and listening out of town, Lakeshore Drive is a 40-mile-per-hour uh, roadway down uh, Lakeshore. And so if you're driving that slow, man, I am furious. Back in the day, I used to get like an egg sandwich or something like that at McDonald's or one at Sonic and have one hand, you know, eating the, the sandwich and the other one on the wheel driving 80 smooth. And now I'm like, these sons of bitches ain't ready. And they're like, brake check in view. I'm like, drive. You're in the fast lane. Let's go. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, a different thing now that you people have joined us you again. People. You people have joined us again and ruined our commutes <laughs> back and forth from home. So I'm glad you guys are coming back. But we're going to have to show some tolerance here. We're going to have to be welcoming to these people who've been at home for months. You know, we're going to have to welcome them back. It's, it's a brand new world gonna, out there. It's, it is. Uh, you know, we've been living in it since the very beginning. 
So we're going to have to welcome them back. They're going to freak out. They're going to have their moments. They're going to drive a little slow, but maybe we'll have to start teaching that course we've been talking about of driving during a pandemic. Or this is how, oh. remember how we used to drive uh, back before these uh, you know unprecedented times happen? Well, this is how we're, we're driving now. So. And just like you and I, I think more people are driving. Like we weren't driving before the pandemic. We were no. taking public transportation. Yeah. So when I drive home now, I'm like, where are all these goddamn cars coming from? Like, I know more people are on the road, but it's more crowded now on Lakeshore Drive. There there was a traffic jam on Lakeshore Drive going north, which there never is after you get past that first stoplight on right by the playpen. So after that, you're smooth sailing. There was one right before you exit on LaSalle, and I was furious. Apparently, there was an accident. So, you know, after I got up to the thing, I was like, all right. That makes sense. But there were a a bunch of cars just lined up all the way back to like the Michigan or Oak Street Beach uh, place. So I was kind of mad. But, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's good. The job's good. Courtney's good. So this is a thing like we're in a committed relationship who live together. We're you know, she works from home and I don't have we don't have any children. So our stress comes from just the world around us. And then if we ever, you know, bicker, it's just because of, you know, the emotions of this whole thing uh, coming together. And we're going to take a trip just like you guys are. We're going to drive out to San Diego together for a week, I guess it is. Like, so three days driving, three days driving back, and then four days in um, San Diego. So some would say, yeah, man, a road trip with a girlfriend for that long? Like, hey, man, we've been in a pandemic (laughs) going home, like, I've seen her every single day, every single day for the last five months, four months. Like that wasn't the case before because, you know, I would go on a trip. She would go on a trip. She would stay at her mom's house for like a week for like the, the like a weekend night just so she has some appointment in, you know, like St. Charles or something like that. And I would go to my mom's house on a, on a weekend or something like that. But, yeah, we've seen each other every night. And so we haven't, you know, our actual relationship out of this is ridiculously much better than it was before this and it wasn't bad before so it's a it's a testament to you know liking the person that you're with because you're going to be stuck with this person for a long time and this was a huge test in our relationship we're only like a year and a half in so i was uh very fortunate to have a person that is very nice loving caring and beautiful as courtney is so that's why we're uh, very happy on the other side of, not even the other side, we're in the middle of the pandemic right now. Yeah, it, uh, she's a very, very sweet gal, and uh, you guys are going to have a great time. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in the car, man. I'm looking forward to going up to Michigan and, you know, going back to some of my favorite spots, or even if not, even if things even if things close down again, you know, just you hang out in the pool and, you know, just, just, just relax up in, in nature. Yeah, but you said your place has only had like 12 in the time, 12 positive yeah, cases only, in the only, time? Only 12 positive tests uh, wow. since this whole thing started. So that's, you know, I think they're probably not thrilled. With, you know, it's it's still, it's not like the Dells where they're used to a lot of people from Chicago coming up there. This is like really, you know, not remote part, but it's like you got to drive a little bit to get up to this part of Michigan. So I, I don't, you know, they, they, they get it. And a lot of people, they rely on, on tourism as part of their economy. Economy, so they get it. I don't think they have the same like, uh oh, here comes the Chicago people. They shouldn't. You know, the Chicago people have done as good as anyone uh, throughout throughout, you know, any major American city salute uh, throughout this pandemic. We've done as good job as anyone is staying healthy. So they should be welcoming us with, with open arms. But and I think most of the Chicago people go to like Michigan City or uh, just on across the uh, border of Michigan for their... New Buffalo and Duwajic. Exactly. <laughs> Duwajic. Um, yeah. 
you're going a little deeper. You're going deep into Michigan. Yeah, up up near like Traverse City area. Ooh. So I'm yeah, I'm looking looking forward to it. And I wish I think I might just I don't know. It's not po- it's not well. Maybe it is possible. We'll be up there with my parents and and my wife and daughter. So maybe it is possible to just leave the phone at home. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to stay off social media altogether. It's really it's it's good for your for your mental health getting off of that. And that's what I'm looking forward to most is just the mental tune out for a good solid week so michigan's like a mitt so you're gonna be like where where the where the pinky starts yeah on exactly. the bottom of the pinky exactly yeah exactly but on the water uh yeah yeah but you yeah there's you can pretty much you know the beaches are open up there now so there's a lot of great beaches up there so i'm looking, looking forward to it but uh yeah we're just kind of limping our way to, to that it's, it's gonna be good i never in my life felt like i needed a vacation per se mm-hmm. like i always look forward to my end of the year christmas vacation like a, you know just because it's like a good time to reset and, and refocus and to spend time with family but this is the first time ever in the middle of the year where i'm like yeah it's, it's about time to take a vacation so i think i'm sure you feel the same way there's like a lot of extra pressure uh you know w- w- when you're one of the people that's got to come into a workplace environment, especially us, everything is so we're all so close together and there's a lot of, a lot of variables going on there and everyone's done a great job of staying healthy, knock on wood, but uh, you know, it's keeping the radio stations on the air and dealing with all the technical things that can go awry during the course of a broadcast day, you know, it can be stressful at times. So I'm looking forward to checking out for a, uh, for a little bit. Uh, one final question from one of our former co-workers. I think former Zach Withers. He had a funny question for you. I haven't seen him in a long time. So yeah. He left to do bigger and better things, yeah, I'm pretty like, sure. Like everybody at the score who <laughs> leaves the score, they go out and make money and have and have a happier life, which God, is weird. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Zach. He wanted to know, did you always hate the double switch or did it develop over time? And we're going to get this, get into this a little bit more in the next episode when we talk about some of these rule changes. But, mm-hmm. uh, but Herb, you don't love the strategy of National League Baseball and double switches? God, National League fans are so insufferable. <laughs> double switch is strategy. It's so tough. Like, literally, I do this on MLB The Show every day. Every time I play the game, it's so easy. I remove the pitcher, or remove the b- player who just got out and put the pitcher in that spot and then put the batter who I'm replacing him with and whoever I replace the fielder with, that guy goes into the pitcher spot. It's easy. It's no strategy. I don't like people who can't do their jobs efficiently. And pitchers are bad at hitting. And the guy that you guys keep on presenting as a guy who can hit is Madison Bumgarner. Check his stats. He is not a good hitter. At least he wasn't last year. Yeah, he had a couple home runs once in a while. But he is not a good hitter. If you guys wanted to really do that exercise where you're losing pitchers who can hit, Use a guy like Jarrett Lorenzen. That's a guy who could actually hit. That's why they play him in the outfield sometimes. That's why the Reds this year will probably play him in the outfield for a couple times because he's a good hitter. I mean, not as a hitter, but he's a good hitting pitcher. He hits like 250, and he can hit you a couple home runs, and he can feel his position, and the guy's jacked too. And by the way, Reds are going to win that in Central. Mark it down. Um, they're stacked. They're great. Um, but, yeah, uh, double switches are dumb. Um, you Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, you guys should know if you're old Brewers fans, uh, Cardinals, Brewers, uh, I forgot who else, Pittsburgh Pirate fans are going to enjoy this year 
the designated hitter. You're not going to want to go back. I hope they don't. I hope they hate every second of it. I hope they they just through gritted teeth. Like I hope they secretly enjoy it, but they'll never ever admit to it. But like having a pitcher hit for you every day, it's like I'm trying to like you know explain it in terms that you guys will understand. Like if you have like an intramural baseball team or you play on a softball team is imagine one of the guys on your team was playing blindfolded and that's what i think having a pitcher hit in the national league is like you're at an immediate handicap uh in terms of like other people playing the game and, and it sucks and then it always is like some condescending pandering ass like clap when he gets a hit <laughs> like that's his damn job he's supposed to get hit oh what an athlete <laughs> oh he's helping his own cause yeah Hell, how about he help his own cause by doing the thing he's getting paid for? No one's here to see this man hit. They're, like Bartolo Colon, the episode is named after him. <laughs> they made such a big deal about when he hit that homer off of James Shields. Such a huge deal off of that thing. That thing plays all the time. If they ever say, oh, pitcher's in the rake, and they show, that, they show that Bartolo Colon home run, look at the players acting like that man just did the <laughs> biggest thing in the world. You know why? Because he can't hit usually. And he looked ridiculous when he does. And so when he puts bat to ball and it goes over the fence, people are like, oh, wow, you can actually hit. You're a little child. I'm going to treat you as such. Some pitcher gets sawed off with a fastball and breaks their bat and loops loops one over the second baseman's said, Oh, you know, we played three sports in high school. This yeah. guy's a great athlete. Who gives a shit? Give me the DH. Give me some guy from the Dominican who's just been taking hacks for an hour until he gets up there and hits. Yeah, like, Edwin Canarsion. Exactly. Yeah, That's now what he, I think of. Now he's he, the guy that I think yeah, of. Now when we go to National League ballparks, that motherfucker can play. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that guy to play. And I'm sure National League teams, when they – have their pitcher go to American League ballpark in the past, love the fact that they can have an extra hitter and their pitcher can just focus on pitching. It. That's all you need. I don't understand the the, the, the pushback. The only good argument, and it's not even a good argument, is tradition. That's it. There's no other thing. Strategy is so overrated and so overblown. You guys are going to love, love, the designated hitter, especially the Cubs. They have so many guys that are eligible now that can hit instead of their shitty pitchers who can't. <laughs> All right, we'll get into that more in the next episode where we talk about some of the rules and we'll, we'll talk about some of the Zips projections for the White Sox and uh, wh- where, you know, Fangraphs has them. Are they at an advantage, disadvantage? Can they benefit from the 60-game season? We'll have to wait and see. But there's something that I want to get to before we close out here today that I've, I've had on my notepad ever since we came back. It's this uh, these baseball documentaries that have uh, surfaced uh, the past, you know, month or so as we live through this time without sports. Um the Ken Griffey Jr. documentary. Did you have time to uh, sit down and watch that? It's okay if you didn't. I have not. Um, you know, I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was much better than the long gone summer, the Sosa McGuire doc about the 98 home run chase that aired the week previous to that. Um, mm-hmm. It was better than that. Um, they, they, you know, really took a deep dive and, and talked about Ken Griffey Jr., of course, one of the great players of our, of our generation when we were growing up, one of my favorite players ever to watch behind Frank Thomas. Loved seeing him whenever I had a chance to go to the ballpark when the Mariners were in town and loved seeing him when he, he sported that number 17 for the White Sox. But they, you know, they talked about how he had this resentment towards his father because he was away playing baseball when he was a kid. And then, you know, so they, they really got into some some real raw emotion there. And then, you know, and then things kind of came around full circle when he got to play with his dad and hit, you know, a home run back to back with his dad 
when they were with the Seattle Mariners. And it was really well done. And they even talked about Ken Griffey Jr.'s cultural impact as, you know, the first baseball player ever to have a sneaker deal. And, you know, I own a pair of, of Griffey 96 uh, Air Maxes and, you know, the commercial where, you know, Don Mattingly hits the, the ball out of Yankee Stadium and Griffey's mm-hmm. like literally running across the country to catch the ball, like stuff like that. You know, I remember the Griffey in 96 T-shirts, you know, the, that ad campaign. It's a big part of my childhood. So I loved that they brought it all together and told uh, a really, really fair story about Ken Griffey Jr. And LeBron James was in it. Peter Gammons was in it. They had much better people on their panel than the long gone summer people did for their documentary. So, you know, it's, you know, I saw someone complaining about it. I think it was Brian Crawford was talking about how MLB Network hasn't replayed it. I thought they'd be replaying it every night, you know, because it's such a great piece of work. But they, yeah. but they haven't made it available for everyone to see. And that right there is the problem with baseball. You know, like Ken Griffey Jr. is one of those guys that sort of transcends, you know, you know, sports and baseball and crosses, you know, all cultures. And everyone knows Ken Griffey Jr. is. When I was producing Boris of Bernstein and we went to the Super Bowl in San Francisco, you know, there was a lot of celebrities there. Uh, Adriana Lima was there. She turned me down. Uh, I told my wife, hey, Adriana Lima turned me down for a radio interview today so you can you can rest easy tonight. Um, you know, Tim Tebow was there. You he know, you <laughs> no, <laughs> but he had like a people following him. Like it was like an actual prophet. Like people were following him around like a big wave of people. But the one guy everyone stopped for when he walked in the room and he had this presence about him, the one guy who had that aura about him was Ken Griffey Jr. When he came in the room and walked by our table, he was going, I think, to do Jim Rome show or one of the national shows. But he came in and it was like every former athlete that was there that, you know, most people would like, you know, wait hours for their autograph. They all stopped and they wanted to take a selfie with Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. He's just he's just that dude, man. He's just forever cool. And, you know, it was, a, it was just the documentary was great. I wish they would make it more available to more people so they can see show off your great work. Um, you know, I, I'll never get the logic of that. If you make something good, just make it available for people so they can see it um, anyway. But the one thing I had a big problem with was they did it again. Herbie, they skipped over White Sox history. They're trying to to tear down the White Sox statues <laughs> <laughs> in documentary form and erase our history, our very proud history from these documentaries. So what they did was they talked about Ken, you know the first well over half of the, doc, the documentary was about Ken Griffey Jr.'s time in Seattle. Naturally, mm-hmm. you know it was there was a big chunk of talking about the uh, the 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 AL playoffs, the division series uh, with them and the Yankees. And, they, you know, of course, they had the great comeback and one of the great games in baseball history. Um, you know, those, and then Ken Griffey Jr. sort of had this, you know, he wanted to leave Seattle because he was a family man. And he talked about, you know, not his dad not being around for him when he was a kid. And he wanted to be around for his kids. They lived in Florida. So he wanted to play anywhere closer to Florida. So he just picked Cincinnati. It was like, that's where my dad played. So my dad's a coach. I just want to go there. So he goes to Cincinnati and continues to build, you know, kind of rebuilds his storybook career up, you know, adds on to the milestones, you know, a few injuries along the way. But they talk about his injury history in Cincinnati. And then it jumps from that. It skips over the great 2008 season and goes right back to his finish in Seattle. And I'm like, what is going on here? (laughs) I remember I I was in the score studios in downtown Chicago for the blackout game. And not even just the blackout game. I remember Ken Griffey Jr.'s first home run in a White Sox uniform. I remember his second home run, his second of two in in the in the uh, Hubert Horatio Humphrey Metrodome. He hit one off the baggie. It's one of those cool Sox fan moments in my life where you get to see Ken Griffey Jr. 
style and profile and pose over over a home run against the Twins in the black jersey. Oh, it great. was vintage Griffey. I don't know if you remember that home run at all. It was like in the upper tank over the back. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So they skip over that magical year of 2008. Who could forget the, the great throw to get Michael Kadire in the blackout game, one of the iconic moments. One hopper. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were watching it with Studs the other day with Adam Studzinski, one of our other producers at the score. He's like, man, what a great throw. I'm like, great throw. I'm like, look at that. Like, AJ's waiting for the ball to get to him. I mean, he's it's, in mid center field too. I mean, it's Kadir too, so it, would, it didn't need to take a great. Who throw. cares? He got yeah. him. He got it over the mound, which I think you said yeah. that was the biggest part of it. Yeah. So I remember AJ, you know, on TV talking about how he's still waiting for that ball to get to him. You know, <laughs> but it's one of my favorite Sox moments. You know, of course, then AJ throw, you know, shows Michael Kadir the ball. What a great dickhead moment by AJ. I mean, he's love that it. guy. Love to see it. But they totally skip over his t- his time with the White Sox, and I get it. It was only half a season, but they did make the playoffs that year, and it was Ken Griffey Jr.'s last time in the playoffs uh, and, I, and that one clip could be like oh he still had game and show yeah, that yeah even if it's just for two seconds and just show that it's like he's already hit 600 home runs but he still had game and throw that throw that clip in there i mean yeah that they always try to do that to us and it should i mean I, even though i haven't seen it it should be much better than the long gone summer crap was because it was the thing yeah. is and that long gone summer besides the bad you know editing the the storytelling the it's like crumbled up and it was like thrown together really quickly it seemed like like i don't know if they had enough time to get that before espn's like yeah let's just throw it on the air but yeah that's what my worry about it was like there's there's no way that they weren't pressured to, to just finish it you know they're showing the the thing the home run chase as mcguire and griffey they don't interview griffey maybe griffey knew that his Documentary was coming out, didn't want to do the thing, whatever. But they presented it as McGuire versus Griffey initially. Then it goes to McGuire, Griffey, Sosa. And then at the end, they're like, Ken Griffey Jr. wasn't good enough for the home run chase. <laughs> that son of a bitch hit 56 <laughs> home runs that year. They're acting like he failed. Like, well, he went over two today, and he only finished with 56 home runs. What a bum. <laughs> Let's get to these other good ass players, though. Yeah, they, there was no, no, no counterbalance uh you know no balance to that ken griffey jr to the uh long gone summer doc and and they tried to erase white Sox history yet again when they talked about sosa you know they they showed him uh in, in his early days and they they skip right over from his texas ranger days where he's just sporting the, the jerry curl you know looking fly and then immediately from that to the chicago the cubs cool. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I I remember with my own eyes watching Sammy Sosa in right field for the White Sox uh, when they opened the New Comiskey Park. I I saw it. I saw Sammy Sosa play for the White Sox, and it wasn't just there. A, it wasn't just a cup of coffee. I mean, he was he was there for for a while, and you know, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for the payoff. You know, to, for them to mention it. You know. Yeah, I think the only time you saw White Sox in that documentary was like, you know, when, when they were serving up home runs to Sosa. But of course, then there was this part. Um, this is the uh, the guy. What's what's this guy's name here? Uh, this is the guy who did 9-11 talking about it. As an adult, what is the biggest mistake that you've made and what lesson did you learn from it? As you may remember, I was in the business world at one time. I was the managing partner, general uh, managing general partner of the mighty Texas Rangers. I signed off on that wonderful transaction, Sammy Sosa for Harold Baines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious, George Bush. 
Wow, what a jerk. One <laughs> Harold Baines I, is a Hall of Famer, damn it. Yeah. Put some spec on Harold Baines' name, Shouldn't please. Shouldn't be, but whatever. <laughs> um, the one thing I We're think trying to take his history away. Chris Ranji told us a story about Chris <laughs> yes. King Jeffrey Jr. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. And if you want to say it, I, I remember only bits and pieces of it. I, pretty much it was... I, got, I can tell go you, yeah. yeah. So, so as Ranji tells it, so this is like, you know... Ken Griffey Jr., his days with the White Sox, you know, you, you can kind of, you, you, Ken Griffey Jr. fell asleep in the clubhouse when he was with the Mariners in his last year, and that's how he knew it was time to, to, to call it quits. Mm-hmm. So he had like a similar, like, you know, he was one of the goats, you know, so he's in the White Sox clubhouse. I don't remember if it was during a rain delay or just, you know, before any normal game, but they're sitting in the clubhouse, right? And, you know, they're about to take their swings for, for BP before the game, and it was Paul Canerco goes up to Ken Griffey Jr. He's like, hey, Griff, um, you know, take our swings now. It's t- time for BP. You gonna come out there with us? And Griffey points to the Swingman logo on his shirt. Of course, the Ken Griffey Jr. Nike Swingman logo. And he says, "Nah, man, this guy here, he's got it." <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best baseball stories I ever it's heard. So great. <laughs> it's just it's, perfect. It's true. <laughs> it is true. Like yeah, and I think it was, it was Paul Kanerka just like yeah. You know what? All right, you're right. So, but yeah, that was just one of those great things. That's 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 what a what a legend Ken Griffey Jr. is. But. Uh, I think that's it for us. Um, yeah, we we talked uh, a lot longer than I than I thought we would go today, but it's good. It's good having you back here uh, at the house and uh, back to doing these things together in person. You know, we, we can certainly function over Skype, but I, I like being able to do stuff here with you in the house. So I think that's all we got. And uh, before we say goodbye, tell your smart speaker to play Locked On MLB. That's right, the Locked On Podcast Network's got a great MLB show. They'll break down everything, all the news and notes as it happens, all the rules changes and player health updates. It'll all be there for you on Locked On MLB. Tell your smart speaker to play Locked On MLB. And for Chris Tannehill, I am Herb Lawrence. This is episode number 40, named after Bartolo Colon, but unlike Bartolo Colon, I want you to come back after you hear this episode for episode number 41, which we'll have for you as soon as we can. So for Chris Tannehill, I'm Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening again to Locked on Socks.